Welcome to the Dental Implant Podcast with your host, Pav Kara, your source of knowledge for all things relating to dental implants. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something valuable. I hope. Okay, good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Dental Implant Podcast with myself, Pav Kara. I am delighted today to uh, be talking to a colleague and friend of mine, Buta Ubi, who is a specialist periodontist. And this has been on the cards for quite a while, hasn't it, mate? But we get, either you've been sick or we've been sick or there's been something or another cropping up. But we are finally here chatting and uh, obviously speaking to a periodontist, uh, we are gonna, we're going to be talking about soft tissue around implants. So, uh, uh, so for those of you who don't know Buta, he's actually very experienced with implants as well. Uh, we'll be going into that in a bit more detail. But Buta, if you could give us a little bit of your background as well, uh, just so that people know what to expect. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm obviously uh, Buta Ubi. I was, uh, I'm actually from Birmingham, uh, which shouldn't take that against me, please. Uh, but, um, but I did go to uh, study away from Birmingham uh, for a few years, and that was in Liverpool. And at Liverpool, um, you know, I graduated in 92, and I did my VT uh, on, on the world there. And then, you know, the call of home was too great. Uh, I had to come back to Birmingham, and uh, I, I worked in general practice for about a year and a half. And what I noticed then was there's a huge, huge uh, need for periodontal services, really. So I applied to a couple of places. One was Guy's and one was Liverpool. Uh, to do period training, and um, I got into got into both. But uh, guys, was um, they, they were giving me an offer, but it was a year later. But I uh, from Liverpool, it was the same year uh, which I applied. So I went along to Liverpool, and I uh, did two years there in the period department. And um, so that was '97. I finished. I bought a practice uh, a few months after I graduated, really, from my from my masters. So I've been in the same building for 25 years. So I carried on with the Perio as well. Uh, I was a part-time lecturer at Liverpool and then a part-time lecturer at Birmingham University as well. And then 2000, I uh, sat my MRD exam, which is the end exam for specialist training. And uh, I passed that. So since 2000, uh, I've been in the same practice, doing many Perio, and in the last 15 to 16 years, many implant work. So Perio probably takes about 15 to 20% of my time implant work is probably the remainder of my time really. Now, one of the things about me is obviously I've been sat in the same room for 25 years. Obviously, the practice has expanded. Uh, it's come from two surgeries to nine, uh, and it's a referral practice now. Um, well, it has been for the last 20 years. Um, but what I do see is my own cases. You know? A lot of my own cases, which I've done implants 20-odd years ago, and, you know, you tend to have a good relationship with the patient. So as it was a general practice at the beginning, um, some of the patients have stayed beyond uh, with me for a number of years. So it's good to see what you, what you do, really, and how things evolve over time. So that's just a little bit about me. And in the last few years, uh, you know, I have been doing uh, quite a lot of training. Um, and we used to run a, a 10-day implant course from 2006 to 2011. Uh, and then I was also a um, uh, Simplant trainer, uh, and I did a computer guided, I was a European trainer for Simplant, and I did a course for Astrotech, uh, which is 
by European-wide, and then more recently I've been concentrating on soft tissue management um, in parts. Um, really. So that's a little bit back background about myself, really. So it's a multidisciplinary specialist practice with a couple of prosthodontists, an endodontist, and another two periodontists, and at the moment three full-time kind of hygienists. Really. It's the kind of practice people dream of being in, isn't it? And uh, it's it's interesting that you say that you've been in that one practice for quite a while because uh, yeah. uh, I was speaking to Greg Boisvali about this as well. And he was saying that when he was in South Africa, he said he was in the same place for 20 years. He said that the benefit of that is you get to see what happens to your patients long term. It's very easy to jump into a practice, be there for a couple of years and then disappear. You don't get the benefit of, of, of seeing the, the long term follow up. So yeah, yeah. The, the the only issue I do have with a lot of peripatetic surgeons is is the follow-ups. Well, how much follow-up can they do, and what will their cases be like in two, three, four, five, six, seven years' time? And when when you're in sat in the same room, right, you're not looking at what's going to happen in six months, yeah, at all. You know, I'm not planning for six months or twelve months. I'm looking seven, eight plus years, ten years plus, really. And yeah. funny enough, I had the very first implant I did in my practice. Uh, I had actually had the chap come back in today. Uh, it was an upper left central incisor, which I placed. And the upper right one had fractured, which was filled. And he was looking at another implant. He'd been to a couple of other people, but came back to see me. Because the implant I placed lasted 22 years. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, so it was quite interesting, really, um, seeing him today. It was a good chat. And then, you know, he moaned about me being more expensive than everybody else. But then he said, yeah. you know, yours has lasted 22 years. So it'll pay the premium for whatever it's going to happen. Um, but what I did notice that was that, again, going back to soft tissue, there is excellent personal bone support on the economy. To be honest, you know, I've not had much problem with the AstroTech system. Uh, yeah. It's been phenomenal. Um, uh, there was um, some soft tissue uh, recession about a millimeter and a half on the left implant placed 22 years ago. So mm-hmm. part of his treatment will be a, a soft tissue graft as well. However, there'll be no charge for that. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, Buddha, I think there's a couple of things I think we need to cover today. And uh, obviously, with this being a podcast, you know, there's only so much uh, information that we can go into. Um, I think the, the two main criteria that we need to look at is, A, soft tissue quality and quantity in relation to health, and then soft tissue in relation to aesthetics as well particularly anterior aesthetics, because that's the one that people struggle with the most, because you do this beautiful implant and then you just lose the papillae. So, um, you know, if you could just give us your thoughts. Uh, if we start with, like, um, the health and, and longevity aspects, then we'll come back to the cosmetic aspect later, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. I think, look, you know what? Uh, let's go back to 25 years in the same room, okay? Uh, the first and foremost thing is that, you know, you want to make sure your patient's uh, the assessment is done well. And for me, um, you know, looking back on uh, a lot of these places, uh, you want to, if you want to have trouble-free environment for yourself, treating smokers is, is, is problematic. You will have more problems with that. Secondly, people with periodontal disease. So it's very, very important, you know, you know chronic periodontal disease, right? Okay? That these people are stabilized beforehand. A good course of non-surgical therapy is essential. So you make them periodontally stable. You, you, you wait, I would suggest, three to six months of making sure 
that they don't get into problems, that they're unstable before you embark on implant therapy. I'm sorry, implant therapy there. So those are two main things, right? You know, and the other factor is that you know everyone keeps going on about implants, the surgical phase, and I think the restorative phase is just as important, or more important, really, you know, for that. And and what I find is that you know a number of cases that we get referred to, into, and from one particular practice, we referred. 47 cases to us last year. In 2021, we had 47 yeah. referrals from one practice. It was an implant practice, and most of the stuff is about maintenance. And a lot of the implant placements there were fantastic surgically, but it's the maintenance afterwards was impossible for some of the patients. They've been referred to us because of the periodontal or implant practice, but really, you know, we've had to say no because we can't before our time, just for you know, just to look after someone else's uh, implant problems. So mm-hmm. the restorative phase is so important. The emergent profile, you know, can you probe, can the patient clean? That is very, very important. Now going on to going back to the assessment again, I think the fundamental issue there is that you know what kind of tissue are you dealing with in the first place? Is it a thin biotype or a thick biotype? Thick biotype you can get away with a lot. You know, aesthetic is going to be better. Thin biotype, yeah. you're generally going to have thinner bone. You know, uh, research has said that. You know, a number of papers that thin biotype will have less cracked tissue anyway. So you will have dehiscences, you'll have fenestrations in the bone. So, and when you, you cannot afford, really, without doing any augmentation, to do immediate implants on thin biotype in patients, really. It's very, very important there. So you've got to differentiate your patients from thin and thick biotype. And then you look at uh, the smile line, which is very, very important. If they've got a low smile line, you can get away with a lot. Maybe you don't need to do augmentation. Maybe a little bit of pink uh, porcelain will, will be okay. They've got a low smile line, the age as well. Average smile line, you're going to have to possibly use some augmentation. And the high smile line, that's a very risky uh, environment for anybody to undertake, really. Uh, without having a really good assessment. So going back to the papilla which you asked about, the papilla is really dependent on where your interproximal bone is. So if they're getting loss of papilla after putting an implant crown in, there's a possibility that there's bone loss there in the first place. You know, even if we ever look at uh, all the quoted papers and Tarnail and this and that and the other, you know, one of the things, first things you've got to look at is your PAs, you know, where is the CJ and where is the bone in relation to the CJ? You know, that, that's very, very important. So loss of papilla, you know, is probably related to whether there was bone loss in the first place. If there is bone loss in the first place, then it's a, maybe you may have to do a different type of flap. So if we're looking at anterior cases, so to say central incisor, then we possibly were looking at doing a papilla preservation rather than a crustal incision, you know, and relieving that, then that's something that I would look at doing as well. Yeah, it does. I was just going to say, it's it's been my experience as well that one of the big downfalls when people are assessing, particularly for anterior aesthetic cases, is, is not looking at the case in enough detail. So what they will do is from a PA or from a CBCT, they'll look at the bone height and they'll go, oh yeah, well, you know, I've got enough bone height look at the bone width, but they're not looking at the inter, at the interdental bone peaks. And as you mentioned, that's what dictates, A, how much 
grafting we can potentially do in terms of bone, but it'll also tell us kind of like where we expect the papillae to, uh, to fall as well. So what I quite often find as well is particularly patients who've been periodontally compromised in the past, as long as you're open and honest about the internal anesthetion, look, biologically, you're going to have a space there. We can make the two slightly different shape. It's never going to look perfect. They mm. will accept that. The issue becomes is when you don't do that and the patient's expecting a very high anesthetic result that's and you're so trying cool. to achieve something that's biologically impossible. Yeah, you know, easy way around that I found over the years was to use a really bad technician. <laughs> yeah, okay? Because we, uh, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, first thing we used to do was take a, an impression, have a wax-up. needs to be beautiful wax-ups come back, you know, and you tell the patient this is what we're going to achieve. But can you achieve it really? Yeah. And it, it, it turns out, you know, and then I said to my technician, I'll tell you what, don't make your teeth look so good on the wax model. Okay? Because I won't, yeah. we, we won't be able to achieve that in the beginning. So on purpose, okay, you know, if it's a, a high-end case or if it's a case which is, you know, compromised, I will tell them to make sure that the teeth looks longer, you know, you don't have that infill there with pink wax and this and that and the other. All the little tricks you can do. You need yeah. to use a technician, right? If you're involved with a technician, say, look, don't make it look so pretty because yeah. can we achieve that at the end? And obviously nowadays, you know, with Photoshop or using, you know, even PowerPoint or Keynote, you know, you can um, uh, do these things, right? But again, you know, you're quite right. It's expectations. Managing the expectations is very, very important. And, yeah. um, you know, you're really open um, to be put down quite uh, quite easily by a lot of your colleagues, right, okay? If you can't achieve, uh, if you promise something and you don't achieve it. And yeah. unfortunately in our profession, unfortunately the, the atmosphere is such that if a patient does complain, you will have a number of people who will possibly give you, you know, not a favorable uh, response, even your own colleagues really. And it's just, it's just the name of the game, really. You know, I think once um, high numbers come into anything, any profession or any business strategy, the, the element yeah. of competition gets even higher, isn't it? Uh, people want to put you down. So it's managing expectations. Don't overpromise. Yeah, I find the, the, the other thing as well is, particularly when you do like a basic implant course, you kind of talk the very basics of bone grafting. And even then it's it's not easy. And a lot of people say, oh, yeah. just use this material. It's fine. You know, there's always these miracle materials coming out. But it's, it comes down to surgical technique more than anything else. Yeah. But from my perspective as well, quite often what I'll see is I will see a dentist doing this really nice osseous ridge augmentation and then they're not doing the appropriate soft tissue work afterwards as well. And that's leaving the patient with inadequate soft tissue around the implants as well, and it's compromising aesthetics. So I think it's really important that those that, that anybody listening to this is, when you're looking at ridge augmentation, you need to have a soft tissue plan in there as well. Would you agree with yeah, that? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. So when you're doing ridge augmentation, you're looking at really, you know, your mucogingival junction line will change. Yes. You, you are really... For trying to get primary closure to make sure your graft doesn't fail, you are calling repositioning your flap. Okay, you know, there's lots of different ways of doing it, but the basic technique is you're going to have to make some vertical relieving incisions and then you're going to currently reposition it with or without first relieving or using urban technique or whatever technique you want to use. So, by currently repositioning, you're moving your quite nice tissue a lot more currently 
So you're leaving very little on the labor surface there. So yeah, 100% agree with you that you're really looking at a soft tissue augmentation you know, afterwards once the graft is incorporated that way. So 100%, yeah, I agree with you. Soft tissue is just as important as you know, hard tissue. I think we concentrate a lot on you know, surgical work and not enough on the prosthetic and soft tissue work, you know, and yeah. which we're, we're trying to change. I think, you know, the, the, the practitioners who have been in the same practice for a number of years, you know, are, are, are looking at a lot more detail. And we get, we get a number of people on the courses who say, you know, they've been lucky so far. They've been winging it. That's a, quite a popular yeah. term. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, it, it is true as well. And looking back, instead of, uh, of my son, my case is 17, 20, 22 years of age, right, okay? It's a soft tissue, really, which is makes or breaks the case there. If you've got good, thick, quite nice tissue around your implants, it's going to be easy for the patient to clean. A. B, you know, quite nice tissue is much more resistant to any insult there. And that, if you think about it, there's no other medical device where you have a, you know, a piece of metal stuck in your body, your, you know, and it's got a connection to the outside world and the outside world has got billions and billions of bacteria. There isn't. And what have you got left? What's there to protect? It's just that junctional epithelium. Never mind cellular epithelium. That's empty space, isn't it, really? It's that junctional epithelium and that bit of connective tissue. Then what have you got? Bone. Okay. So if, uh, as you, as you're a very experienced practitioner, you know, uh, look at um, you know, perimplantitis sites. Yeah. You know, they don't resemble a small defect, do they? They're huge holes. When you lose bone around an implant, you lose a lot of bone. It could be four, five, six, seven times the volume of your implant, the amount of bone you lose. Yeah, you get massive craters around them. Yeah, Massive craters. So that lesion there right, okay, is very much like an osteomyelitis. It's not like a periodontal infection. Mm -hmm. If you get in periodontal disease, it's like osteomyelitis. You get a lot of bone loss there. Okay. So that soft tissue, so we're talking about aesthetics, but we're also talking about protection. That soft tissue, if you've got thick, fat-nosed tissue, it, it's going to have more resistance to any insults. It's going to be easier for the patient to clean, which means that you're less likely to get inflammation, and inflammation is what will cause you know, problems for you in, in the future. So yeah. that, you know, that as Linkovis uh, proved in, you know, a few years ago, and also the Berglund and Lynn studies on dogs, um, we've known that biological width should be at least three to four millimeters, okay? and we need to respect that. Have you know, if we can, uh, augment the tissue. I know it's harder. I know it's it's one more surgical procedure possibly for the patient, but in the longer term, okay, that few hundred quid they may spend now, you know, for that procedure, that discomfort they may have now, will pay itself. A lot more for the impact will last longer, it will be easier to clean, and yeah. it will be benefit for the patient. I completely agree because when there's mobile tissue around a, around an implant, it's, it's, it's not just that, but it ends up being sore for the patient. They don't like brushing in the area. You've increased the risk of, of having issues around it. Plus, you've got mm. a patient who doesn't like cleaning it because it's sore. Like, as you mentioned, it's, it's aesthetic as well as functional. And moving yeah. back to what you said a little while ago about the uh, about the uh, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on the surgical aspect, but, the, you know, we need to put more emphasis on the restorative aspect as well. Mm -hmm. Creating the correct emergence profile as well uh, is is very, very important because there is actually data out there that suggests that if your emergence angle is 
too deep, it actually makes the biofilm next to the neck of the implant more anaerobic. So you see a lot of people where they're putting in these narrow diameter implants, putting a tiny little um, uh, healing abutment on it. When it comes to restore, particularly molars, they've got like this lollipop design, which is it's not adequate. It's not how we should be doing treatment for our patients. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, it comes down to cleansability, maintenance, isn't it? Yeah. It's just not able to maintain things. Really. You, know, you kind of learn from your own mistakes, but it's, it's always better to learn from other people's mistakes, you know? And it's good that research is done. But, you know, as I said, you know, when you're first starting out in implantology, you know, you, you really are excited. It's a brilliant field. It's a very, you know, fast-moving field, and there's a lot to learn. And the only way you learn is by doing a number of cases. So you tend to do cases which are not appropriate or beyond your thing and you have suboptimal results. But the implant integrates, fortunately or unfortunately. But you're left with a restorative phase, right, okay? And then yeah. the maintenance, which is very difficult afterwards. You know, and then you start to learn um, from your own mistakes. It's obviously it's easier, you know, looking back at 25 years and etc. You know, end of the day, right? Okay. Obviously, there is that, that we have to make money, etc. And then it's always competition. You don't go down the road. And but I think you know to have a better life, easier life, the full assessment okay, has to be done. Yeah. It has to be charged for. You know whatever system you're working in, um, but you've got to spend the time assessing the patient. There. You know an easy way, right? You know if people are not familiar with how to assess would be to look at the ITI uh, website. They've got yeah. these simple, advanced, and complex cases. It's just a very, very good flow system. You type in, you know, what they ask you, and then it tells you at the end, this is a simple case, advanced case, or a complex case. And then you can, you know, you can copy that into your own customizer screen and, and do it that way. But there's lots and lots of assessment forms out there available. I'm sure you've, you've actually... You've done a, a brilliant one, you know, a very comprehensive one a few years ago, if I remember rightly. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm actually in the process of updating that as well because it wasn't quite functioning right. So I'm going to redo it in its entirety. And once it's done, it's going to be, it's going to be the go-to software. I guarantee you that. It's just, yeah. That's good. That's good. Right. look forward to that. You know, uh, yeah. um, you know you, you, you've been very, very enthusiastic, which is brilliant. Uh, we need enthusiastic people. Uh, it's, it, you know, that's what makes it a really special feel. Yeah. It, you know, implantology, right? You've got to look at it as a restorative, restorative discipline yeah. with a surgical component. That's, I mean, that, that's exactly it because patients, they don't want implants. They want fixed teeth. And implants are a mean, they're just a means to that end. And the people who give best outcomes for patients are the ones that understand that restorative process. There are a lot of people out Absolutely. there just going in and just placing implants. Now, I'm not saying that these peripatetic surgeons are doing a bad job because a lot of them do a truly excellent job. Um, but, the, but similarly, there are a lot of them who go out there and they just put implants in. And you see it on University of Facebook where you're looking at it going, how are you supposed to restore that predictably? How are you supposed? And, and, and these people are like, well, all I do is place implants. The restorative aspect isn't is it's not my it's not my responsibility. It should be the responsibility because unfortunately, sometimes the restorative dentists can't restore very well because of where the yeah. implants are placed. And maybe it was a case that needed, you know, another phase of treatment there, you know, a phase of augmentation, where they, you know, the soft and hard tissue before the implants are placed. Well, okay. 
this is where guided surgery really, really does help. Yeah. You know, um, you, know you can plan, you can see where your final restorative would be. You know, it would really, really help. So the best cases we've done over the last 17, 18 years have been guided. You know, um, unfortunately, we don't do them over really guided now. But, you know, we, we are looking forward to, uh, we've, we've, we've got a sat nav guided system, uh, X-Guide. Um, this yeah. is just a case of, you know, um, opening it up and using it. You know, sometimes you get new technology. It, it's that learning curve, you know, you've got to get through. That's, that's the most difficult part. As you get older, it's, it becomes more and more difficult as well. One thing you've got to take back, it's a restorative field with a surgical component. And please do look at the soft tissues as well, because that's what's going to make you break your case. So we want to have cryonized tissue. If we don't have cryonized tissue, the mother of all procedures, which is this free digital graft, is so, so useful in this place. You, know? yeah. you can use the free digital graft, you can use it as connected tissue by taking the top off and de-exilizing the free digital graft, okay? or you can use it just to, you know, have a, a thicker zone of cryonized tissue. You know? So that, that technique is so important, especially when these guys do full arch work. I've, I've been doing full arch for over 20 years, right? I can show you some, you know, horrendous cases that we've done. Yeah. Uh, but so also great cases we've done. Um, but you know, we're coming back. We're, we're doing free ginger grafts on a number of patients at no charge because we want the implants to last a lot longer, a lot less hassle for everybody. Yeah, I mean, obviously, with me working at Evo Dental is, I mean, we do pterygoids virtually every single day, and one of them, one of the main things we get asked very often is, you know, what if the patients can't clean all the way back there? Mm. And firstly, we don't put teeth all the way back there; it's just a little bar connector, so it's actually quite easy to clean. But yeah. yes, you do have a handful of patients who, you know, they may develop arthritis as they get older and they can't clean as well. <clears throat> what I would say is. Actually, the pterygoid implants, the implants we have the fewest of problems with. And a big part of that is down to the quality of the soft tissue at the back there. You know, yeah. it's keratinized tissue surrounding the implant. It's thick. It's fibrous. Um, yes. You know, it's, it's, sometimes you, once you've raised the flap, it, it, you've got too much tissue. You know, it's, yeah. you get some cases where, like, the tissue's six or seven millimeters thick. And then the issue is, is if you close that back down over the surface, you've created a pseudo pocket. You, you know, you're starting you have, right. Yeah. yeah, so what, what yeah, in those cases, you you need to reduce the, reduce the soft tissue there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you know what? That tissue doesn't have to go to waste. You know, I know you guys do a very, very slick job there when you're doing it, but you can utilize that soft tissue around some of the anterior implants there. You know, depending on, you know, if they've got, uh, if they've got a lack of, um, um, thickness of tissue that can be used there. Certainly, yeah. So the very best quality of tissue is around the two doors. However, it's very fibrous. It's got a lot of collagen in there. Um, so you, when you're doing a tuberosity graft, you can't be too thick because your revascularization becomes a problem. Yeah. Yes. Right, okay. So you can have graft failure. So you want to have two, two and a half millimeter thick, you know, maximum three millimeters thick really graft there. If you're doing, you know, a bilaminar technique, um, and secondly, you know, you make sure your graft is, you know, suited in really well. It doesn't move uh, because if it moves, you're not going to get that uh, revascularization. No. It has to be very, very immobile. Um, so those are the kind of small pointers there, really, when you're doing graft. 
And the other thing about the tuberosity grafts is that you know the tissue can overgrow as well. You, know, you can get large lumps there. Um, you know, which may have to be a small almost keloid type scar- scarring, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it grows quite big. It goes quite yeah. big in some places, which is advantageous in some ways, but obviously in an aesthetic zone, you don't want uh, yeah. too much. I think the, the the other thing that people need to realise as well is is doing soft tissue work is you need a different skill set and a di- even a different instrument set to doing the macro work that you do within. You've got to use microsurgical techniques and really gentle, um, you know, when, when I'm doing soft tissue work uh, for gingival grafting, you know, I use 6 sutures because, you know, you, you don't want any tension on there. If you start adding tension, you're going to start to introduce other problems. So I yeah. think it's important that people understand that, people understand that the heavy-handed kit that you have to raise flaps when you're doing implants, it's not going to work for soft tissue. So unfortunately, you're going to have to buy a soft tissue kit as well. Yeah, it doesn't have to be expensive. Look, you know, obviously you have the Rolls Royce, and you know, which is uh, Hugh Freedy um, um, Swiss Perio kit, which is about three k. But you can get some very decent instruments for you know a couple hundred pounds. You know, they don't have to be there. And then as you get uh, more and more into this, and you can go on to um, buying the more expensive Hugh Freedy kits if you wanted to. Um, but at the beginning, you know, I would just make sure something. You need three instruments, right? Yeah, microsurgical. Um, suture holders, microsurgical scissors, and then tissue forceps. You know, that's a couple hundred pounds. Um, some, some of the, you know, halfins.com uh, is a great place uh, to buy them. Um, so, you know, th- those are three instruments you need. And as you get more experience and you want to do more softish work, you can use that. But the main thing is when you've got microsurgical instruments, you do not use your, your normal 3040 sutures in them. Not unless you want to buy them every single time that you use it, because you'll just lose your instruments. <laughs> you will, you will, you will absolutely, you know, the ends of your microsurgical suture holders will not meet together once you put a four or four yeah. sutures in there. And yeah. you know, I've been in the practice the same years, and you can see, you know, see the number of those when some of my associates have done that. You've completely ruined four five hundred pound suture holders. You know, so yeah, so microsurgical kit is important and practice. You know. It's practicing really, really important, you know. Get those, get those three instruments, get some six O sutures, and you know monofilament. Right? Okay, yeah. so monofilament is is very very biocompatible and doesn't break. You don't get a lot of bacteria in there, so it heals very nicely. But you've got to make sure the ends are long, uh, and just practice. You know, practicing some fruit, peaches, or something like that, or aubergines is a is a good one. You try and remove if you want to do a split take this flat. Try and you know, practice for split thickness flaps. You try to remove the skin off the aubergine. It's a great way of doing it. So there's lots and lots of ways you can do that without using animal models, you know, because if you if you use animal to practice something like a pig's head or a goat's head or a sheep's head, uh, the problem is you're not going to be able to use those instruments on humans. Okay? Yeah. So just practice on fruit, uh, and then if you want, you can do, but just get yourself a separate set of instruments if you want to practice on animal models there. But, you know, coming home, practicing, it's, it's what it's all about, really. You know, if I remember right, you know, I was taught how to do sinus grafts by Hill Tatum. So we spent 30 days uh, with him on his maxi course. Um, yeah. And we used to come home and practice on uh, eggs, you know, and omelets yeah. for, for weeks on end. <laughs> just practicing <laughs> on eggs, just to try to remove the shell and keep the skin there. And that's the only way you kind of get that tactile sensation, the feel, 
And you, you catch some, you know, dozen eggs, you are, you can master science augmentation. It's similar with microsurgical instruments, yeah. Yeah. So going back to what you were saying, I, I used to practice on peaches, my soft tissue work. Lift the, lift the skin of the peach, tunnel underneath it, and then just practice suturing. And just practice, because it's repetition, it's muscle memory that you're developing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So for anterior work, right, okay, we tend to use several instruments. My microsurgical training was done with Otto Zer and Mark Hertzler. And I went to San Francisco in 2003 mm-hmm. and spent a week with them there. Um, so since then, and they were at that time using ATO sutures. So I started using ATO. And it's in the last seven, eight years, I thought, you know, sod this really. You know, it's too much hard work, you know. <laughs> it was really hard work using ATO sutures. Half the time you couldn't see you couldn't see the sutures itself, really. So, you know, uh, I've gone to 7.0 and it's, a, it's, a, it's great. 7.0 is fine for anterior work. And you're, what you mentioned is so important, tension-free. Do not use 4.0 monofilament sutures ever. You know, 4.0 proline, you are you're going to have so much tension. And the problem with tension is that you're going to restrict the blood supply. That's our problem. You can put a lot of tension in 4 sutures. I was just going to say, for, for, for those listening, the reason why 6070 sutures are good is because if you pull them too tight, they will break. And if they break, that means your flap is not passive. That means your flap design was wrong. That's, that's one of the really good things about using 60. Once you can start to, and there is a learning curve to it, like everything, but once you start closing with 60 and you see how quickly the soft tissue heals, particularly when you're using a monofilament, you just be like, I'm not going back to anything else. I don't want to use the 40. All you've got to do is look at one paper, Burkhart and Lang, 2006, okay, when they did uh, a root coverage with macro sutures and with micro sutures. Uh, day three, you just look at the angiogram and you can see how much blood supply there was with microsurgery. It was there in black and white. If you don't believe any of this, one paper, actually, it's just two photographs, sorry, you can look at, and that'll tell you the healing with 6070 sutures is just incredible. Okay? Yeah. You know, you, you're just putting no tension on the flap. You can remove your sutures after six, seven, ten days if you want to. Uh, because it's just, you know, you're approximating the flap. I'm a primary closure type of person. You know, I want to have primary closure for most things. You know, I'm not an open wound healing, although it's a valid concept to me. I want to, if I bring a graph there, I want to close it up. So tension-free suture with 6070 is, is, is phenomenal because the blood supply, you're restoring it, you know, much, much earlier than you would with macro sutures. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely superb. So, Buta, I'm going to let you get on with the rest of your evening because I think we've covered quite a lot, but just uh, a couple of things before we go. So um, for those listening, if they wanted to learn more about this, I believe you run some soft tissue courses as well, isn't it? So if you just tell us a little bit more about what you cover and where they can find more information. So uh, around uh, implants, I run a two-day soft tissue course, which is the intermediate one. And um, uh, it's two full intensive days, really. Uh, it's limited to 10 people only. And that we finally get better teaching. And secondly, it's very unique. It's, it's kind of very individualized course there. Uh, because we've got iPads on every station. And on the iPads is all the videos that we go through for practicing. And what you do find in 
in, in a lot of courses that you have a, a great variety of experience. You know, some people may have not done much, others may have done loads. So to actually keep everyone happy and also to give a really good learning experience, you know, we can actually get some more experienced guys to actually do further stuff, you know, further exercises on them. And then some of the less experienced guys, they can repeat some of the other exercises. So we go through all the microsurgical stuff. It's sutering mm -hmm. instruments there. And we cover the, the harvesting of all types of grafts through gingival, pedicle, and, you know, subethical connective tissue grafts and tuberosity grafts. And then the, the main the kind of techniques we cover is, one, to thicken tissue, and two, is to increase the zone of uh, tissues by implant. So yeah. thicken tissue is a bilaminar technique, you know, subethical connective tissue uh, grafting, uh, pouch technique, pedicle technique, uh, and then, for obviously, for increasing the zone of permanent tissue, we've got fridges and grafts. We use some biomaterial as well, which, you know, which are more popular. But, you know, we tell you the differences between um, the two there. So it's a pretty hands-on intensive course. Um, you've got mm -hmm. a big booklet at the end, at the beginning as well, so all the slides are on there. Um, we've done, this is our, be our eighth cohort in April. Uh, and then there's also further ones in June and October and December as well. So we've got another four running this year. Um, and all the all the actual uh, details are on uh, our education website, which is www.bpieducation.co.uk, or you can find me under Uta Ubi uh, on Instagram or Facebook as well. You want to find me yeah. You can just DM me, DM me for details. I mean, it's been a few years since I've done a soft tissue course, so don't be surprised if you see me doing a refresher with you later on this year. No problem, mate. You're more than welcome. As incidentally, all of your all of the other Evo Dental guys have done it anyway. It's really who's turning around and saying to me, Pav, you know what? It's a phenomenal course. You've got to do it sometime. So you you come very very highly recommended from from uh, from from as well. So yeah. <laughs> Oh, thank you very much. It's 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 been great. You know, if 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 more um if more questions come out of this, I may get you on again. I'll put this out in the next few days. Kind of like see if because uh, sometimes people say, "Oh, would you mind covering this and this as well?" So if if I think we get enough for, for a second uh, for a second podcast, absolutely, we'll, I'll be back in touch. Thank you very much for uh, taking your time this evening. Um, uh, and to all the Titanian nerds listening, just so you're aware, it is twenty to nine in the evening. Okay, so uh, Boots is taking his time after work, spend time with us. So just say a big thank you to him. And as I said, if you wanted to learn more about his techniques, it's bpieducation.co.uk. And uh, I'm going to get off this call and look at that website right now. <laughs> thank you very much, everybody. Thanks, Booter. Yeah, and I'll see you around soon, mate. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye now.